You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. From the High Center Studios of Messiah College, the nativity of my own bass playing days here in Grantham, Pennsylvania, this is the Wave Improvement Leads Home podcast, a bi-weekly discussion dedicated to American history, historical thinking, and the role of history in our everyday lives. And now, here's your host, author and award-winning historian, John Fia. Thank you, Drew, and welcome everyone to episode 53 of the Wave Improvement Leads Home podcast. Well, Drew, this is our last episode of season five. As always, I think our quality grows with every season. I'm happy to say our audience has grown as well this season, both just our listenership, but also uh, the number of those who are supporting our, our podcast financially. So while a lot of labor goes into scheduling, writing, recording, and editing every episode, I can say unequivocally, this is a labor of love. I think it is too. And I, I'm really excited about everything that we were able to accomplish this season. We had some great guests Again, people are supporting us, you know, in our sort of little niche of the history podcasting world. Uh, So, again, thank you so much for that. It is also, Drew, sadly, very sadly to say, our last episode with our stellar in-studio technical producer, Abby LaBianca. Abby is in the studio. She's come in from behind the glass. Abby, I want to thank you for all your hard work this year. You are graduating on Saturday. Yeah, I am. What's the future look like? Um, so right now my plans are to go back home to North Jersey. Yeah, Jersey. Yeah. And I have a couple possible job opportunities. One is in Manhattan wow. uh, at a company called Mixopolis, and they do a lot of audio post-production work. Um, but nothing is for sure just yet. So I'm yeah. still looking still look, at if this there, point. And if there's anyone who's looking for what, Abby, like a sound technician. Um, yeah, a podcast editor. Podcast editor. Recording engineer in the North Jersey, New York City area. New York metropolitan area. Give us a call. Contact us. Send me an email. I have uh, someone to recommend for that position. Abby, again, thanks so much for everything that you've done for us here. Thank and you. I know you're leaving us in good hands. We'll have some announcements oh, about yeah. your replacement. Mm-hmm. She's next. great. Uh, this has been so fun. I've loved every single week that good. we've done this. So, yay. Thanks, Abby. So, Drew, we are heading into the summer now, summer of 2019, in case you're listening to this podcast like in <laughs> four years down the road or something. Um, what does your summer look like? Like Abby, you know, I'm going to be going through some pretty big transitions this summer. So I'm actually moving out of my position as the digital Harrisburg project manager. Although I'm happy to say that the project is going to continue, uh, that, that a lot of the things that we were able to get moving, uh, with that project, uh, over the course of this year will continue through the next year, at least. 
But starting in September, I will be joining the faculty of the Stone Independent School in Lancaster, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, where I live. It's a very progressive and innovative high school learning environment. Very much looking forward to teaching a uh, wide range of humanities courses uh, because the, the school emphasizes that, uh, quote, students learn best by doing. I know I'll be bringing a lot of my experience as a project manager and as a podcast producer uh, to my pedagogy while I'm there. And you're still going to stay with the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast. At least that's the plan so far, right? I am. I am. I mean, Abby's leaving me, but don't tell me you're leaving I'm me not. too. Yeah. No, one of the one of the job requirements for for Abby's replacement, and we're, we've been real lucky. Every year we we turn to our our studio producer and and ask them to pick their own successor. And beginning with Michaela, Josh, through Abby, we've had we've had zero misses uh, so far. So I'm I'm very uh, optimistic about Casey, who's going to be our replacement. But when we brought her on board and started talking to her, we, we also started the conversations about uh, changing things up um, as far as uh, where we will both be sitting. You'll probably still be here in the studio, but during my, my opening introduction, you might have to hear a report from more than one location because I'm going right. to re- right. be recording probably from actually from, from a soundproof room. The school where I'm going has some soundproof rooms. Good. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to do some recording there. Uh, remotely, and we'll—I'm sure we'll work that all out over the summer. I'm not worried. The yeah. wonders of technology, right? How about you? Do you have a busy summer ahead of you? Yeah, it's always busy. You know, I mean, a lot of people think professors and even teachers, right? They have the summers off. That's definitely not true. You know, we just do different kinds of work. I, I'm working on a book on the American Revolution. I hope to make some progress on that. I'm doing some work with Gilder Lehrman uh, Institute for American History. Well, we're doing a series of K through eight colonial America history lectures, which are going to be filming around the East Coast, which is really cool in sort of locations. Uh, and then I do my 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 regular colonial America seminar at Princeton, which I've been doing for the last four or five six years. Taking a big family trip to Italy. In June for ten days, we're really excited about that. Back um, to the homeland. Back to the homeland. My, I've never been actually. Both of my daughters have been um, on different school trips and stuff, but I haven't. So uh, we're doing that. So yeah, I'll I'll keep busy um, uh, this summer. Of course, the blog is always going right, right, and uh, we're always you know as long as Trump too remains in office, <laughs> uh, you know, there's always going to be journalists to talk to and <laughs> yeah. blog posts to write and so forth. Well, and, and the nice thing about being a historian is even if there comes a time when he's not in office, you're still going to have the history of him being in office That's to right. talk about. Exactly. So, I mean, your prospects there don't yeah. rise and fall specifically with his administration. Yeah. So before we get to the summer vacation and end season five. We have actually one more episode here to do, and I am incredibly uh, excited about it. We are going to be talking music, theology, Christianity, and American history with Bob Crawford, the bass player of the extremely popular folk rock band, the Avett Brothers. So, John, I usually book the guests uh, with your recommendations, of course. Sometimes sometimes I get, get out ahead of myself and, and book them even without them. But I had nothing to do with this booking. So how did you land this interview, John? Yeah, um, a year or two ago, Bob had read my book, Was America Founded as a Christian Nation? And contacted me about appearing on his history podcast called The Road to Now. So I agreed to be on the podcast But I'm embarrassed to say I had no idea that I was talking to the bass player of an extremely popular rock band. Um, I thought this was just some guy with a podcast. Um, He probably told me that he played bass for the Avett Brothers, but 
it didn't necessarily resonate with me uh, for whatever reason. I remember then going into the office of somebody in uh, the history department at Messiah, one of our adjunct professors, and said, have you ever heard of this group, the Avett Brothers? And her eyes lit up and said, oh my gosh, of course, they're like my favorite band. And then I, I knew that you know, I was kind of, uh, you know, we we're kind of on to something here. So after I appeared on the episode, Bob shared it on his Twitter feed uh, and included my handle on the tweet. And then my, my Twitter feed just started blowing up with Avett Brothers fans retweeting and responding. Um, and then I knew that this guy was was pretty famous. So, you know, I started asking my kids and other millennials about the Avett Brothers and realized you know, just how big these guys were. So since then, I've become an Avett Brothers fan. Uh, I'm a Bob Crawford fan. Uh, Bob has stayed in touch. He's asked me for some advice about how he might pursue serious study in American history and how he might balance that with his touring schedule with the Avett Brothers. So we had a few phone conversations some email exchanges. I learned more about his passion for the past, his New Jersey roots, his very compassionate spirit, the way he's reconnected with his faith. Um, and again, his just generally love of good intellectual conversation. So earlier this year, I asked him if he wanted to come on the podcast and talk about how his study of history is going. Uh, and he graciously said yes. So I think today we are catching him in Kansas City. But this is his day off. Uh, the Avett brothers are on tour. So needless to say, we are very lucky. Yeah. You know, to have our first bona fide rock star. That's you right. Know, my, my own personal aspirations to rock stardom, you know, failing as miserably as they as they have. Now I'm just, you know, your lowly little podcast producer. Hey. But now but, we've got a real legit rock star on the but show. But your your band Overholt, right? They're well, played they're played every two weeks on the yeah. Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast, their music. So we'll get to Bob Crawford shortly. But first, Drew, tell us how to connect with the podcast. The Way of Improvement Leads Home is a proud member of the Recorded History Podcast Network. Head to recordedhistory.net to check out some of our fellow network podcasts. Our podcast is brought to you through the generous donations of Lisa DeGuardi, Richard Green, Ron Schooler, Kate Logan, Margaret Graves, and Gretchen Adams. And as always, many thanks to Jennings College Consulting, discovering the right college fit for your future. We are also sponsored by the Lindhurst Group, a history, museum, and nonprofit consulting firm providing community-based engagement strategies for institutional planning, organizational assessment, and interpretive direction. If you want to become a sponsor of the show, please head over to thewayofimprovement.com and click support. And the best way to spread the word about the podcast is to tell your friends. And as always, if you want to follow us on Twitter or Facebook, you can find us at T-W-O-I-L-H podcast. And please consider giving us a positive review wherever you download the podcast so people may more easily find it. Yeah, it's been a great year. Um, I think more and more people are getting to know about what we're doing here. They're asking more questions. They want to connect. They want to donate. They want to help us keep this thing going. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your support here uh, during this uh, season five, which really coincided with the 2018-2019 academic year. Thank you so much. Well, before we get to our interview with Bob, you have some words for us, John. In 1981, during a concert in Paris, Bruce Springsteen told the crowd, quote, I just started to read a history of the United States. And the thing about it is that I started to learn about how things got to be the way they are today, how you end up a victim without even knowing it, 
and how people get old and just die after not having hardly a day's satisfaction or peace of mind in their lives, unquote. Later in the tour, in Brussels, Springsteen said, quote, I was reading this book. It was called The History of the United States. And in it, I find out how I ended up where I was and how the chances of me breaking out of that kind of life or anybody breaking out of that kind of life gets slimmer and slimmer every day, unquote. Bruce's American history lesson continued in Rotterdam. Quote, I read this book, The History of the United States, and in it I found out where I came from and how I ended up, where I was, and how easy it is to be a victim of things that you don't even know exist and you don't even know are there. Because I go back and I see my friends at home, and there's a lot of people there that had strong hearts and force and power inside them that just got crushed, unquote. The history of the United States that Springsteen referenced in these three concerts was the pocket history of the United States, published in 1942 by esteemed American historians Alan Nevins and Henry Steele Commager. Contemporary historian Louis Mazur describes the book that Springsteen quoted. Mazur says, quote, writing in a grand narrative tradition, Nevins and Commager demonstrated how to combine deep historical knowledge with an interpretive edge that was not historiographic, but thematic. The two men churned out a sheaf of triumphal prose centered upon, quote, those great historical forces and factors that have molded the modern world, unquote. But they also offered a quiet critique of those places where the American dream went awry. They argued that, quote, the corporation was a device to create a fictitious person who could enjoy the legal advantages but avoid most of the moral responsibilities of a human being, unquote. They discussed workers and immigrants and the struggle for success. And they asserted that in the late 19th century, the promise of American life was not being fulfilled, unquote. It was also about this time that Springsteen encountered Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. In his memoir, Born to Run, Springsteen describes his encounter with Zinn, Nevins, and Commager, and American history more broadly. He says, quote, My reading of history provided me with a new view of myself as an actor in this moment in time. What happened here was, in some infinitesimally small way, my responsibility. This was my place, my moment, my opportunity for my voice, no matter how faint, to be heard. If I passed it by, I'd have to answer to those children I was beginning to imagine. History was a subject that had bored me in middle and high school, but I devoured it now. It seemed to hold some of the essential pieces to the identity questions I was asking. How could I know who I was if I didn't have a clue as to where I'd personally and collectively come from? What it does mean to be an American is all caught up in what it did mean to be one. Only some combination of those answers could lead you to what it might mean to be an American. Unquote. From this point forward, Springsteen's music began to reflect this historical sensibility. His albums, Darkness on the Edge of Town and The River, explored his own history as it unfolded in the streets of Freehold, New Jersey. He became inspired by the American stories told by Woody Guthrie. He started to forge a career dedicated to mapping the distance between the American dream and the American reality. Listen to The Ghost of Tom Joad 
and hear how Springsteen connects the Great Depression wanderings of Oakey farmers and migrant workers to George H.W. Bush's quote-unquote New World Order. Or listen to the moving lyrics of Springsteen's Vietnam song, The Wall, a song he composed after visiting the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. Here's a little taste. Cigarettes and a bottle of beer. High school pictures, paper flowers, ribbon, red as the blood. Red as the blood you spilled in the Central Highlands mud. Now the limousines rush down Pennsylvania Avenue as they fall. And apology and forgiveness have no place here at all, here at the wall. Or listen to Springsteen's song, We Are Alive, on the Wrecking Ball album. He calls upon the memory of a Maryland railroad strike in 1877 the black children killed in the Birmingham church bombing of 1963 and immigrant parents dying in the San Pablo desert seeking freedom. If we have learned anything from Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, it is that popular music can be a powerful tool for the teaching of American history. And as in the case of Springsteen, the study of the past can serve as a powerful trigger to the artistic imagination. Bob Crawford plays double bass, electric bass, and violin for the wildly popular folk rock band, the Avett Brothers. The Avett Brothers website describes him as a man full of vim and vigor, natural ingenuity, humor, and goodwill. Scott and Seth Avett describe him as a natural-born hustler, though slightly weary of the everyday hustle. It had, up to that point, included, but absolutely was not limited to, selling shoes, fronting various bands, working 20-hour shifts on movie sets, taking girls on dates in a 1972 four-door Chevy Impala and selling grilled cheese sandwiches in the parking lot of Grateful Dead shows. Crawford had migrated south from New Jersey in search of new beginnings, truthful folk music, a job on a film crew, and possibly a decent cup of coffee. In addition to his work with the Avett Brothers, Crawford is the managing director of the Press On Fund, a nonprofit that invests in medical research focused on novel and less toxic therapies for pediatric cancer. He is an avid student of history. He has a signed Martin Van Buren letter hanging in his house and co-hosts the Road to Now podcast. When he is not playing bass, he's working on a graduate degree in history at Arizona State University. Our guest today is the bass player and a member of the Avett Brothers Band, Bob Crawford. Bob, welcome to the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast. John, I'm so excited to be here with you today. Good. And you are on the road, right? In Kansas City. Your guys are on tour. Yes, we are. We have a day off and we stopped in Kansas City, a spot that we've been coming to for years when we come through town. So uh, if we're ever in the area, we make sure to visit here. Okay, great, great. So for those who don't know, we're a history podcast, right? We have maybe have some listeners who have never heard of the Avett Brothers. Tell us briefly about who you guys are, what kind of music you play, and then maybe tell us a little bit, Bob, about how you got into the band. 
Sure. Uh, we are the Avid Brothers. We, we've been uh, playing. To, it, it began in 2001. It was myself and Scott and Seth Avid. Uh, it has grown over the past uh, 18 years to be uh, uh, six, sometimes seven people on stage. It began as Roots Music. It was a banjo, an upright bass, and the guitar player uh, would kick a hi-hat and the, the banjo player would kick a kick drum. And, you know, those guys are brothers, so they had these, like, Everly brothers, silky smooth harmonies. But, you know, one guy is a crooner. The other guy is almost a carnival barker. And so it was just, I think, something that it was three of us. We were were getting – Scott Avett and I were getting ready to go to grad school. Uh, I was was at the Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina, getting my my, uh, second undergraduate degree in music, music theory, really. Mm -hmm. And I was 29 years old, and Scott was about to go to Florida on a like a $50,000 art scholarship, wow. and I was accepted to Ohio University, okay. not not Ohio State, yeah, Ohio yeah. University, Athens, Athens, Ohio, Athens, Ohio, yep. and and so so we had just begun playing together, and I, I said uh, it, was, it was spring turning to summer. I said, what if we went on the road for a week? You know, it's just three of us. It'd be easy to travel. You know, if, if I book a tour, are you guys into it? And they said, um, they said, we don't believe that you'll do this. But yes, <laughs> if, if you book it, we'll go. And so it was my first time ever using the Internet. And I, I booked uh, about 20 shows in, in a, a little bit under a month. Wow. And it was sports bars. Yeah. It was uh, Irish pubs. Yeah. Uh, just pool halls. And, and we, we did it. We slept in campgrounds. We stayed with family members and friends. We came back. We had a thousand bucks each and then a thousand bucks to put in the band account. Wow. And we said, there's no going back now. Yeah. And then from there, it just uh, kind of flourished. Now, like I said, it, it's roots oriented music. But now I would almost say it's like rock. Uh, sometimes it's like pop. Sometimes it's like country. Um, it's kind of a, a pretty dynamic sound. Yeah, that's for sure. Now you're def- you are from New Jersey. You're a Jersey boy. South Jersey. South yes, Jersey. Sir. Where in South Jersey? I went to Stockton. Well, now it's Stockton University. Yeah. It yeah. was Stockton State College long ago. Right. Um, and I'm from there. So I'm okay. I'm from Pleasantville. So you're from the Pineys. I'm from the Pine Barrens. Yes, that's the, right. I've been learning about the Jersey Devil, and I, I, you know what? I actually equate my love for history to the Jersey Devil Is that right? and to, to growing up near Smithville and Batstow, which yeah. was co-owned by uh, General Green. Is that right? Uh, I didn't, I, yes. used, I know Batstow. Yeah. But the yes. iron works and everything, but I didn't know, I didn't know Green had, was in the mix there. Green had a stake in that place. Yeah. Interesting. Okay? And, um, and so my mother would take me to these historic sites and, um, I had a fourth grade teacher and she dressed in historic clothes. Like she looking back, thinking back, she was a reenactor. She probably made her own clothes and she would uh, tell us stories about the Jersey devil and this and that. Now your life changed forever when your daughter, is it Hallie? Is that how you pronounce it? Haley? Yeah. Then no, you're the first person who got it right the first time. You know, my, my daughter (laughs) has a best friend who has a sister named Hallie. So that's how, (laughs) that's how I got it. Yeah. Um, your, your daughter, Hallie got sick. 
So, so what happened, you know, not to make you kind of relive this moment again, but what happened and how did that sort of change your life, change your sense of kind of calling or vocation, um, make you sort of rethink things? Well, John, thank you for, for the care with which you asked the question. And I have to say that um, my daughter's illness and what, is, what happened to her is, is the most consequential event that, uh, that has happened in my life. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always, um, I want to say happy to talk about it, but right. I'm always willing to talk about it because I think there are benefits for others by me talking about it. Yeah. So on August 28th, 2011, uh, the band and I were on our way back from Germany, finishing up a three-week tour. Our plane landed in Charlotte. My daughter at the time was 22 months old. I had a two-month-old son, Samuel. Mm-hmm. And the plane lands in Charlotte. I turn my phone on and uh, I call my wife. And our, she was in the hospital uh, at UNC Chapel Hill with our daughter. Um, she said that, that something was seriously wrong, um, that she found her unresponsive in her crib. Um, it, it took a while for it all to sink in, but, but what happened was my, my wife that morning, uh, she was breastfeeding our, our son and she heard our daughter calling out like she did every morning in her crib. And so she finished with our son and, and went and started making breakfast and hadn't heard from Hallie again. So she goes upstairs to check on her and, um, she was, she found her having a seizure mm-hmm. or a stroke in her crib. She was what they call posturing, mm-hmm. which is when your, um, your arms are stretched out and your, your hands are balled up in fists and her, her, uh, looked, she looked at her eyes and one her left eye was cocked off to the side and she knew something was seriously wrong. Right. She called nine one one. Uh, they took Hallie to the hospital. They did an emergency CT scan. They found a mass uh, in her brain that was a quarter of the size of her brain. Yeah. They did, um, and she began to die. She was dying from the pressure mm-hmm. in her brain. They did emergency surgery. Um, the, I arrived, ultimately I arrived at the hospital while Hallie's still in surgery. Um, Hallie got out of surgery. They, they, they took us to meet the surgeon. He said that... Um, Oh, I asked him if she was going to live. He said he didn't know yeah. um, that he believed it was cancer, but they had to send off for pathology. Ultimately, it was uh, UNC thought it was a, a brain tumor called an ependymoma, a high grade anaplastic mm-hmm. ependymoma. Mm-hmm. Um, Hallie was in the ICU for for uh, six weeks. She had um, she was in a coma for a while. Ultimately, they did a second uh, surgery because they they felt like they left some tumor in. Uh, and we sent off for second opinions to St. Jude in Memphis and, uh, Boston children's, yeah. uh, Dana Farber and, in, in Boston. And they both came back and said, it's not a pendomoma. We believe it's uh, astrocytoma glioma high grade. It's even worse. And the appendomoma is like awful, yeah. terrible. And then they're saying this one's worse. So Chapel Hill says we can't help you. And on a whim, uh, I'll never forget it. One Saturday morning at the hospital, my wife is going through our mail and she finds, um, a card from my aunt from Hamilton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a St. Jude prayer card. I grew up Catholic. There's a yeah. St. Jude prayer card in there. And my wife says, I want to go to St. Jude. 
And we didn't know what they were offering. We didn't know that they would take her. But that was a Saturday morning. Uh, by by Tuesday night, uh, a, a tour bus that was donated by a bus company out of Nashville wow. arrived at the hospital and drove us through the night to St. Jude in Memphis because they said if you can get her by get her here by Wednesday at 10 a.m., we can take her. Yeah. And uh, that started uh, the journey of her chemotherapy. Ultimately, um, the, the cancer came back. 2013, she had another resection, and she did six weeks of radiation. And here we are, 2019. She's been six years cancer-free. Wow. And uh, she's nine years old. That's amazing. And she's, yeah, she's a sweetheart. Yeah, so. yeah. How did this all change you, Bob? Well, it, I grew up Catholic, but at that point I was, um, I was not, uh, I believed in God, but I would probably tell you that I was spiritual, a spiritual, well, I believe I'm a spiritual person or whatever, good vibes, whatever you want to say. Um, but this, this brought me the moment of her illness brought me to Christ pretty much instantly. When I got to the hospital, uh, you know, from landing, you know, we landed and, that was two hours from Chapel Hill. Our manager, my wife called our manager for him to meet meet me there. Scott Avett jumped in the car without even thinking about it. He came with me uh, two hours from his home. Um, and we got there. We had family members there. My wife and I hugged. We cried. And I, um, I gathered all of our friends and family who were there. And we held hands in the, the uh, pediatric intensive care waiting room. And, and uh, we prayed. I, I prayed. We, we prayed. Yeah. Yeah. And that was um, the most. Uh, I didn't even think about that. It was just that was just my reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And so from that moment on, uh, I had my conversion. And then, um, how has this sort of conversion? Your, you know, I know you're now involved with pediatric cancer uh, um, research and so forth. But has how has that played out in your sense of, you know? using the platform that you have with the Avett brothers to kind of, did that at all change, you know, how you see your music, how you see the things you do to, with your free time, um, you know, how you structured your life and so forth. All of it, right? Yeah. All of it. And, and, um, you got to ask Scott and Seth how it maybe changed their writing. Yeah. Uh, and it may have, it, 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 affa- it impacted the whole group and it, yeah. the, the three of us and, and Joe, uh, who, who came about in 2007, uh, and Dane Honeycutt, our tour manager, who's been with us since 2003, Dolph yeah. since about 2002, 2003, our manager. Um, I mean, it forged the whole organization. See, we were always close. We yeah. would always consider ourselves a family. Uh, but it, whatever uh, air between us, whatever gaps there were, uh, it, it filled in all the gaps. Yeah. But for me personally – Right. I took almost a year off. I mean, right. I, I played one gig uh, a few weeks after she got sick in Greensboro. And mm-hmm. and then um, I played we got to Memphis and I would I played I, we did a show in Mississippi, in Oxford, Mississippi. I went and played that one. Uh, they were the guys came to Tupelo. I went and played there. And so so I mean, I wasn't completely gone, but yeah. I was gone. And and a uh, old friend of ours. Uh, a guy named Paul DeFiglia who had played with Langhorn yeah. Slim, yeah. who's from uh, Bucks County. Right. I, I know Langhorn well. Uh, yeah. Yes. I, wait, yes. I, I, when I was a student here, he played here. Oh, did he? Yeah. Really? Yes. Messiah? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, Slim's old bass player who had quit music, um, 
was actually working on a farm in Virginia. He, he came in and filled in for me. And, um, uh, you know, I went through a lot of, uh, different things from, I would walk when I would play, I would walk on stage and I would just almost be bitter or I would be like, I'd see people and they're all celebrating and having a party. I'd be like, how can you be celebrating? Yeah. Celebrating? There's this hospital full of kids who are right. dying right now. How, how are, this is, you know, like, you know, I would tell Scott that, um, I was, I was awakened from ignorance. Yeah. How could I be ignorant? How could I not yeah. see the world with real eyes? Like the va- the veils yeah. were dropped from my eyes. I could, I saw suffering and, and hurt and pain and what was real and, and, and talking about, I would get on the bus with the guys and they'd be talking about $120 pair of jeans or, right. or a, a new restaurant. And, and it just seemed like excess to me. And, yeah. and, and, and it was just ridiculous. And, you know, and I, I've obviously I've, <laughs> I'll buy a pair of $120 jeans <laughs> now or I'll go to a good restaurant. You know, you can't, you can't shun that. And you, and you can't live in a state of, of, uh, of critical condition forever. Right. You can't live in that state. Yeah. I think I saw an interview somewhere with you when I was doing research for this episode where you talked about, um, you had to learn how to kind of celebrate again. Uh, And yeah. And, and, and be kind of enjoy the moment, right. For what it was. Right. And, and, and that came through letters from fans. Right. Uh, I received one, uh, a couple months after how I got sick from someone who was at that show in Greensboro. I played shortly after her illness and she said, uh, I had a brain tumor and, uh, I, I was going that next Monday uh, to, to have surgery and see, you know, seeing you up there, just, I just felt like I felt represented and, and it was okay to be there. And I, and that gave me, gave me strength. And, and that's, and that for a long time, that was kind of like, Oh, I represent a demographic who, who is underrepresented or not represented at all. And now, you know, Hallie's special needs and I represent, the parents who um, maybe they've lost a child, maybe uh, they have their special needs parents, um, uh, maybe they're 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 going through an illness or or uh, they have a child going through an illness, and and that that is who I feel like I represent when I'm up there, and that's in my worst moment how I justify continuing to do what I do. Yeah, and and real quick, the Avit brothers, you guys just have a. Uh, rock solid kind of fan base, right? Almost rabid, right? When I see them on Twitter, I mean that in a good way, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that was, that was, you had a sort of built in support there, right? Well, you know, uh, we arrived at St. Jude on October 20th, 2011. And about a week into it, my wife sets up a tribute page on St. Jude's website to raise money for pediatric cancer rally for Hallie. Yeah. And our goal was 15,000. We we broke that in, in less than a week. Wow. And Avid fans to this point have raised over a half million dollars. Yeah. Uh be it for St. Jude or for for Press On Fund who I currently represent. Hey, I always represent St. Jude. Yeah. And in fact, Press On Fund which is is our, is is our pediatric our family's pediatric cancer uh charity that that we we share with two other families of children with cancer. Um, we uh, thanks to Avid fans, 
We have a uh, brain tumor protocol at St. Jude right now that Press On Fund has has funded yeah. because of because of the generosity. And let me say one more thing about our fans. Um, Mel, Melly and I, you know, in the early years after this, we were at every St. Jude walk. We were involved in 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 every aspect of fundraising. Well, you know, now we don't have time to do everything. And now the fans have carried it on wow. as their own mission. Yeah. So, you know, I just can't say enough yeah. about about them and, and how much I love them. And and I think we share, uh, you know, with the band and 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 our fan base. I think there is this mutual respect and love sure. uh, that that goes between us. Well, th- thanks so much for sharing that story, because I think it really does present a context for some of these questions we want to ask you now about your love of history and thinking, and sure. Christian faith, um, theology and so forth. Um, I think we f- we first met when when you invited me to come on your podcast, right? Um, the Road yes. to Now. Now, how would you define that podcast? Is it a history podcast? Is it a is it a theology podcast? A sort of a podcast at the intersection of history and theology? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it is a history podcast uh, that that features myself and my co-host, uh, Dr. Ben Sawyer who has a PhD in Russian history and uh, he is a lecturer at middle Tennessee state university. And he's also a stand-up comedian. Wow. Now Ben grew up with Scott, Seth and our tour manager, Dane. Okay. They grew up since childhood. So I met when, you know, we, you know, we traveled for years in a 15 passenger van and I would read these 750 page history tomes about Martin Van Buren yeah. uh, and the like. And, and Dane Honeycutt, our tour manager, is like, you need to meet Ben. Yeah. And um, we were up in Mich- – he was at the University of Michigan. And we were playing a gig up there. And, and he and I met and had a cup of coffee. And it was we were fast friends. Yeah. And we actually talked about doing a history podcast before Hallie got sick. Yeah. And then – you know, for about a year, I didn't care about history or reading. And I'll tell you the first history book I read after how I got sick, it had to be a religious history book for me at that moment. Uh-huh. And it was John Barry's book about Roger Williams. That's right. Tremendous book. And I've had the honor this past year, we interviewed him about the flu, about the influenza, but I did ask him about that book uh, later. And he, he said that he felt that was his best book but it did the worst. But he said it, he yeah. felt like that was his best book. But anyway, uh, well, so real, quick, ba- real quick Barry story. I was on a panel with him up in Newport, Rhode Island at the Quaker meeting house in Newport, Rhode Island. It was the, I think it was the 350th, yeah, the 350th anniversary of Williams's famous treaties on religious liberty. So like I sat on a panel with him and we had dinner together. So there's a connection. <laughs> he, he is, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed he him. Is- Oh man. And to do, you know, I have this, John, I don't want to get off base here, but I have this theory about his journalists who write history books. Yeah. And I feel like we'll get into this later probably, but there are, there are some problems right now in the field of history and, and academia and there's some issues and there are some scary things going on. Uh, but l- why don't we talk about that later? But yeah. Barry is, is an example of a journalist who can write history. Oh yeah. I, okay. I agree. I agree. Now we met, we talked about my book. I think was America founded as a Christian nation. I had no idea who the Avett brothers were at the time. I told this story at the beginning of the episode. 
um, before you came on. Uh, later on, I found out who you were and who you guys were. And I was like, wow, what an idiot, you know? <laughs> but but anyways, we had a great conversation and we've been in touch ever since. So I've always seen you, Bob, as kind of a, I, I was going to say a budding intellectual, but a kind of intellectual with a stand-up base, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're, you have a very curious mind. You're very interested in history, theology, ideas, and so forth. Uh, let's talk, you, you mentioned a little bit about how you got interested in American history, but you know, tell me about, you know, just your interest in all of these things, whether it be theology, history, you know, uh, being a kind of thinker, you know, how'd you, how'd you get caught up? And I know you, you're in book groups and you're, you're constantly looking for kind of intellectual nourishment. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Cause you don't really hear a whole lot about that from musicians. Well, yeah, uh, I've always had the bug. Yeah. Um, there, I remember there were a few points in my life where I could have went political science or music uh, and, and television production. And I did uh, TV and radio production first, and then I did music. But um, I remember I was graduating Stockton and I was at a, you know, community, yeah, all the, you know, the, the communications kids had their parties and right. all the different groups, you know, and I was at a party and I was talking to a, uh, a, a public affairs major, uh, a public, wait, what is it? Uh, PR, public PR, relations, public relations yeah. and he was working on political campaigns and I was like, man, this is, this is, I need to do, this is, you know, I was really torn. And then when I went to Winthrop and I was getting my music degree, I took an introductory uh, political science class and, and then I took Scott Huffman. Uh, I took his political statistics class Okay, and, and he does the he does the polling in South Carolina. You see him on television every four years yeah. during the South Carolina primaries, but, um, uh, great guy. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it's tugged at me, uh, at several junctures in my life, uh, to be involved deeper. And, and that's what the podcast ultimately is. It's, right. it, it began as a way to have an outlet and then RTN theology. I was, so, so I began taking online, uh, theology classes mm-hmm. and I started at one institution and I, I needed a, a broader view of the, of yeah. the world. And I went to another, I went to Fuller theological yeah. seminary and I got a certificate from them. And then I decided if you want to study church history, you need to study history. Yeah. If you're in the world where you can only study online, which pretty much is where I am. Right. Currently I'm, I'm getting my master's at Arizona state university in history and I am halfway through the program. But, you know, getting back to where it all comes from, I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. It's just something that's always been in, inside of me and, and seeking knowledge. And, um, you know, it's funny you say, well, you're like an intellectual with a base. Yes, I agree with you. I'm worried that being an intellectual is going out of fashion these days, John. Yeah. yeah. Real quick, from one bass playing graduate student to another. You know, how, how are things going with, with your master's degree over at uh, Arizona State? It is going great. Like, I'm in that week right now between classes. So I finished up uh, North American history, and now I'll start urban history here next week. And, you know, you don't know what to do with yourself in that couple of weeks between. Like, what I was reading the Mueller report today. <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't know, if should I be picking up one of my books from the class coming up? Or, you know, uh, yeah. what should I do? But, you know, everybody talks about the Mueller report. I, I want to, man, that is a page turner. Let me say, <laughs> let me tell all your listeners, read the Mueller report. Yeah. yeah. You got to read it. I've, I've it read is, it. I've read it. And it's, yeah, you're right. It is. It is high drama. Yeah. 
So just to clarify this, you're doing concerts every night and you're reading during the day. Man, I'm, and, and then when I'm, we, you know, cause we'll go for 10 days, we'll be off for a week, Yeah, go for five. And so when I'm home, you know, the kids go to bed, my wife and I watch a TV show or two and, and then she goes to bed and I'm, I'm reading. Now, are you driving, uh, are you driving your band members nuts with all the historical information you're, you're must be telling them? I selectively reveal information, but okay. when they have, <laughs> but let me say that when they have questions about history or politics, they come to me. Right. So I kind of makes me feel good that. They trust me. Hey, and let me give a shout out to Seth Avitt, who, um, you know, I love history. I read history all the time. He got into Henry Adams really? a couple of years ago. And, you know, Seth is an incredible wordsmith. And it just made perfect sense for him to read Henry Adams, yeah. who is perhaps one of the best writers who ever wrote history. We just had Sarah Giorgini from the um, Massachusetts Historical Society, the Adams Family Papers. Uh, she's two or three episodes ago. I think she was on. She has a whole chapter on the faith of of Henry Adams, which was really, really interesting. So pass that along to Seth if he's interested. I will. Um, yes, I'm sure he'll. And love then it. you are at Arizona State. Am I right? I think I remember having this conversation. I think we had a phone call at some point. Where, we did. Where are you working with Catherine O'Donnell at Arizona State? Actually, um, she's not doing the online stuff, but I I interviewed her for her Elizabeth Seton book. Got yeah. Okay. And so, you know, my area that I've kind of settled into and that I will do my final project will be a historiography of the Irish Catholics uh, during the antebellum period. Okay. And so she has offered herself as uh, being a sounding board for that. She is, uh, she is wonderful. We had her on the podcast this season talking about the same book. And uh, I think it was one of our best interviews, Drew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she has a great personality and, yeah. and uh, she's a good interview. That book is phenomenal. It's so it's good. A page, you talk about a page turner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's move on here. Let's talk. You kind of alluded to this with the Henry Adams and Seth Avitt uh, line, but have you thought about sort of any links between, or maybe, you know, Seth or you or any links between your kind of study of American history and the kind of music that you play or the writing that you do, the Avett Brothers writing. I know you, this is a question that I'm just kind of dropping on you and maybe you haven't thought deeply about it. But you guys play roots music, right? Uh, you're, you're interested in American history, ideas. Are there any links there? Does, does your study of American history inspire you in any way when you're on the road or with your music or with your writing? Okay, l let me answer that in going down three different threads. Okay, he's um, ready. He was ready for it, yeah. First, um, we have a song that will be on our next album that will come out late summer that Seth wrote. I had nothing to do with. Yeah. I will put it up there with This Land is Your Land. Wow. That's all I'm going to say about wow. it. Wow. Okay, I, I cannot say anything else Teaser. on that thread. But if someone's listening and they're a fan of the band and they're aware of of our corpus of songs, they can look forward to that. And Seth wrote it, and I couldn't have wrote it any better. I don't yeah. think anybody in the in the world could have wrote this song any better. But it is an American song that speaks to our times. That I believe, if they still exist, uh, at some point, kids may be singing in schools as they grow up wow. sometime in the future. So wow. let me leave that. Secondly. I picked up the fiddle shortly before Hallie got sick. And that was that instrument for me was a way of connecting history and music. Yeah. <laughs> Cause 
because of the songs that that many you know well there's songs that predate the civil war yeah i love old time music scott and i he had gotten into claw hammer banjo and and i i had gotten into the fiddle and so we were sharing that at the time how he got sick and you know at saint jude in the hospital rooms they have these little parent rooms mm-hmm. that is just a reason number 5062 what makes that place so special yeah if your kids in the hospital there, there's another room adjacent where there's like a big window and yeah. a speaker. You can hear your kids, see your kid, but you can have privacy and right. you can go to sleep. Um, anyway, I would go in the bathroom of that room and try to practice the fiddle, you know, in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so in that respect, that was a way of connecting music and history. Another thing, a good friend of mine, David Childers, he is a great singer songwriter from Charlotte, North Carolina. I don't know. Uh, some of your listeners may have heard of him. If you have not, look up David Childers. The Ava Brothers play some of his songs. Okay. He's, a, he's, he's the greatest songwriter you've never heard. Okay. He and I had a band, again, before Hallie got sick, called the Over Mountain Men, uh, which we took the name from the Over Mountain Men, uh, the East Tennessee band yeah. of uh, militia guys who took, took out Patrick Ferguson in uh, a King's Mountain okay. battle, of King's Mountain, okay. a battle that Thomas Jefferson himself thought turned the tide of the Revolutionary War. And then my research, John, and when I called you, you know, I, I had to write my first historiography. Yeah. And this is something I still struggle with. So we find areas of history that fascinate us, and we begin to do historiographies where we read everything that's been written on the subject. Mm-hmm. And we begin to uh, filter it through different methodologies. But ultimately, John, we're trying to ask a question ourselves. Right. And we want to ask a question no one's asked before mm-hmm. or, or contend something that others had take for conventional wisdom, right. right? Right. So I'm at this point in my study halfway through my master's where I need to find that I found the era, I found the faith I found, the people I want to study. But John, I'm going to ask you here on the air, like, you know, and we'll take this off the air at some point, but I haven't found the question. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't found the question. And so something I was reading, I probably can't say the author's name properly. So his book is How the Irish Became White. And David Rediger in The Wages of Whiteness alludes to the same thing. And I know those two historians, they, uh, they give each other props. Right, right. But, They're in whiteness studies, both of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Early minstrel artists were Irish. Yeah. Okay, so the you had the enslaved, you had free blacks, and you had the poor Irish. In the How the Irish Became White, first of all, let me say when my seven-year-old son saw me reading that book, he said, Daddy, what are you reading? Yeah. I said, How the Irish Became White. He said, oh, I know, they were green. <laughs> 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 So, but but you had these two groups that shared much in common, that ultimately hated each other. Yeah, and you had these white Irish minstrel performers. So that that intrigues me, but also the Irish Catholic and the nativist yeah. um, also intrigue me deeply. So anyway, there's a few different threads yeah. of yeah. A musical history thought. Yeah, so so uh, sounds like you got your work cut out for you. Trying, it sounds like you're on the right track though. Something will break, 
you know, I think you're, I think you may be onto something there. I'm not, I'm not really up to speed completely on all of that literature, but it sounds like you're making progress. I find the best way to come up with your research questions, just keep reading, you know, and keep, keep reading. They don't, it just doesn't come to you in the middle of the night. You know, sometimes it does, but you know, it'll only come to you in the middle of the night. If you have read materials that you can sort of think through and make connections with. So, uh, yeah. And these are the skills that all budding historians, right. Learn how to deal with. I'll tell you, it's it's interesting, and Ben would talk about this before. I I would tease Ben about academia before I was seeking my master's, but the first time you you begin to wake up every morning, and the first thing you think about is your historiography. That's That's right. It's quite a time. Welcome to the club, right? Um, It's a a sad, lonely world. Yeah, it's a sad and lonely (laughs) world. At least you get to go up on stage every night. (laughs) That's right. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Our time's almost running down, but I have one or two more questions for you. Um, What artists out there do you admire, not necessarily always for their music, but are there any, any artists out there who you know, as someone who cares about ideas, history, theology, you know, are there any any sort of mainstream artists our listeners would recognize that sort of inspire you or you see as kind of role models as you do your own stuff, your own music? Well, um, you know, I grew up in South Jersey. So of course, wait, wait, don't tell me he's going there, Drew. Bruce Springsteen. You got it. Yeah, actually, actually, where I, I don't know if you know, I'm a diehard Bruce fan myself. Yeah, but uh. well, John, I'll just tell you this story. I'll be brief on it. Um, when Hallie got sick, we're into the first week of this. She's in a in a coma in the hospital, and uh, the guys in the band wanted to do something for me. Our manager Dolph, uh, they didn't know what to do. You know, yeah. what do you do? What do you do for somebody who's who's going through this situation? So Dolph reached out to Bruce. Wow. And so one night I'm in you know, and Hallie's in the pediatric intensive care unit. I'm in a room. I look down at the phone, uh, and I have a missed call from a a private number and I don't, you know, return private calls. I don't look at, I don't, you know, whatever. So, um, a little later on, I realize I have a message and it's Bruce. And he's like, Hey Bob, it's Bruce. Uh, (laughs) Dolph called and he said that your daughter's sick. And I just want to, I just wanted to call and see if there's anything I could do. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a call later. Wow. So, so the next night, so I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> so the next night I look down and I have another, another missed call. And, uh, and, and he's, he's like, Hey Bob, it's Bruce. I just thought I'd call again. I don't, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, uh, take up your time. I, I don't want to be, <laughs> I want to pose. I just, I really, I'm really worried about your daughter. And, and, and Dolph called and, and I just, I just really want to, want to let you know that, that I'm sorry. And I, I want to know if I can help. And here's my number. So John, when I was a, a teenager, oh I mean, we God. would make pilgrimages to Asbury park yep. and walk the streets. Um, if there was any other in my high school yearbook, my last words are, I, I thank Bruce, right? Uh, if there was any other time, any other moment in my life, um, I would not have known what to say to that man, but I called him that night and he, he answered the phone and, and I was like, Hey Bruce, it's Bob. He's like, Hey, Hey, what's going on? And I just started telling him about Hallie and what was going on. And he talked about a, a moment when his wife was pregnant and they had a, a scare and had to go to the emergency room and how he was like just praying that he would trade everything for that child to be okay. And, wow. and so we just talked about kids for about 25, 30 minutes. And then I, 
Oh, he he says uh, he's like, hey, as an aside, uh, love the band. Love the music. <laughs> That's great. Uh, that was going to be my then, next question. Does he see right. a fan? Yeah, well, he played. I had heard before this uh, that he played us on his on E Street Radio, and he said, um, uh, "The Avery Brothers, go to sleep." <laughs> <laughs> but um, but That's so great. so I say, hey, hey Bruce, um, uh, can I ask you what what have you been reading? And he was reading, and this is 2011. He was reading Joe Torrey's book, and then he asked me what I was reading, and I said uh, I was reading Tolstoy. I had before how I got sick. I was reading Tolstoy, The Kingdom of God Is Within You, and. And he's like, I haven't heard of it. And I started telling him about Tolstoy, and I was like, I think I might have lost him. But that might yeah. be where I lost him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but then, but then it was a, a night of a Republican debate. And he's like, Well, I got to go watch politics. Uh, wow. He's like, Give me. A, he's like, Call me anytime. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't kind of have the nerve to do that. But we texted on and off for about yeah. six months. And I would send him pictures, and he would write back, looking good, or yeah. uh, so happy for your family, or yeah. or this or that. So. So there's my Bruce story. I don't know what other question you had. I this is you. this is our last episode of season five before we head off to the summer. That story just made the season. <laughs> Drew, Drew, give me an amen. Amen, amen. <laughs> I mean, when, when he's asking that question, I, I see this question on 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 the script here, and I'm just thinking to myself. Oh, if he if he says Bruce, if he says Bruce, John Fields is gonna lose his mind. <laughs> can I can I add one other? Yeah. Uh, John. Yeah. Growing up in South Jersey, um, I saw you two on the um, God. What was that tour with uh, Joshua Tree? With or without you, Joshua Tree tour or the Joshua Tree? I was 16 years old. My buddy and I went up. We scalped tickets at the Spectrum, Philadelphia yeah. Spectrum. Mason Ruffner opened up the show. Okay. Um, I was a big U2 fan. It was an amazing night, uh, you know, being young and a teenager and having that experience. And so, but you know, over the years I got out of U2, they kind of lost me after, um, yeah. mysterious ways and I got into other things. And so two years ago when I saw the Bono Eugene Peterson video film that, that Fuller produced, yeah. I really, and began to, uh, look up Bono talking about his faith. Okay. I, 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 I also uh, really uh, respect yeah. him. For those of you who don't know, Eugene Peterson just recently passed away, a, a Christian writer and probably best known for um, the Bible, the message, his translation of the Bible. Yeah. So I, I, I remember that Bono, Eugene Peterson sort of thing. And uh, great. Now, again, our time's up here, Bob. But I did notice as I was looking at the schedule for the Avid Brothers that you are going to be in little while, I think a couple of weeks singing the national anthem at Citizens Bank Park for a Phillies game. Well, let me say with all respect to our country, we're, we're going through enough trauma in this country right now. The Avery Brothers will not, will not be singing the national anthem at the Phillies game. We'll be playing a concert after the Phillies game. Got yeah, That's what it is. Okay. Now as a Philly kind of South Jersey Philly boy, what kind of influence did you have there? Uh, none, none, none. Wow. None. And I'm just, this is the second time we're doing it. Okay. Uh, I will have to say, uh, the first time we did it, uh, I got a tour of the place. I got to see the world series trophies. Yeah. I got to meet Mike Schmidt and Larry Boa. It wow. was pretty, pretty incredible. But, um, there we worked with a, a gentleman who used to work for the Braves okay. uh, years ago. And we, we played in Atlanta at the baseball stadium a few times okay. and he has a company now and he he uh, books bands to play ballparks. So That's we're great. doing Philly again, and we're doing Cincinnati again. Are you, a, they're, they're, uh, are you a Phillies fan? 
I am a Phillies fan. Oh, yes. No. Very, that just, that just, Drew, that just, <laughs> you're on the mountain top uh, and then you just descended to the bottom. We got it. You got a Cardinals and well, a Mets. Are, Cardinals and a Mets You're fan. a Mets. Yeah. You're a Mets fan. I remember, didn't, didn't you have a, a Twitter war with uh, Lenny Dykstra or something? <laughs> yeah, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we got it. That's a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> I almost jumped in on that, but yeah. I, I, I just watched it. It was almost like watching, um, <laughs> it was watching a date yeah. that starts so good but then ends just terribly i was asking so. too many fan-based questions like what was it like yeah. playing with dwight Gooden? and he told me to shut up <laughs> well but i mean and lenny dyke get you both right i mean because he played for both yeah the, Philly, the, and, Philly the and the mets yeah so. it, it was you asked him who he liked playing for uh what was more special to him yeah uh but it was kind of like me asked to talk about Tolstoy with Springsteen. Yeah, that's it's kind of right. like, it's going great and then <laughs> yeah. man i just i took it to the i jumped the shark with yeah. him i guess well, Bob, thanks so much for your time. We know that, you know, you're busy, you're on the road, you're touring, you got your graduate work, you got your reading to do. So I can't tell you how much it means to take some time and, and talk to us here at the podcast. We really appreciate it. Always got time for you, John. I and appreciate that. I'll be I'll be calling you with uh, historiography questions. All right. You know how to get a hold of me. All right, buddy. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks so much, Bob. Thanks, guys. Bye. Well, I can't think of a better way to wrap it up than listening to Bob Crawford riff on music and history and the way his faith has shaped his life, his daughter, um, Bruce Springsteen. What a great interview. Well, I also just really can't think of a, a better person to bring together our sensibilities, you and me, John, because, I mean, he obviously has that deep, deep Bruce Springsteen connection, which which makes you so <laughs> feel so at home. But, you know, also, I have to be honest, the Avid Brothers were, you know, kind of blowing up at a time when when I was here at, at Messiah College and, and was very inspirational to the kind of sound that we were trying to bring to our band, and I was playing bass. So Don't you yeah. have a story about that, Drew? A, a little bit of one. I almost, So I, I almost brought this up in the interview, but then I didn't. You know, I, we recorded an album. We were in this band called Raise Up Roof Beams. Recorded an album, and a, as hustlers do, uh, you know, the lead singer of that band uh, went to an Ava Brothers show and, and found a way to uh, hand a copy of the album to one of the brothers. And, you know, I'm sure they get 18,000 uh, CDs at, at every show from, you know, aspiring musicians. But two years later, we did get an email from someone in the Ava Brothers that said, hey, we just found this album in the bottom of our tour bus. <laughs> we put it into the CD player and it's actually pretty good. <laughs> so so that's, that's about as close to, to stardom as, as as our band ever got. But, you know, it was a lot of fun. You mentioned that story before we went on air and I forgot to kind of try to work mm -hmm. it into the conversation. So it, I apologize. It's okay. That. I think I would be mortified if I told that story to him and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's so, right. Someone who just so clearly brings a kind of authentic energy, yeah. an authentic love of of everything. And, you know, I agree with you. I don't think it's a coincidence that he is drawn to roots music and drawn to American history. Yeah. Um, you know, this is about, this is clearly someone who is just so totally interested in every part of who he is in yeah. getting to the, like the root of, of what it means to be an American kind of, you yeah. know, just as you were saying in your commentary. Yeah. Very intellectually curious guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit. I look forward to getting to know him a little bit more over the years. So, uh, uh, again, another great way to wrap up this season. Speaking of that, Drew, I think that's a wrap. Stay tuned. You know, we're going to be off the air for the summer, but we're going to come back sprinting season six, fall of 2019. It's going to be a whirlwind. We're going to have, I'm sure, 
Uh, primary politics will be coming into That's play. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll be sure to find some other interesting topics to cover. That's right. Well, thank you so much, listeners, for being with us this year and even in the years prior. And I'll send you off with this. May your way of improvement always lead home. This has been a production of The Wave Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections at the intersection of American history, religion, politics, and academic life. Visit us at thewaveimprovement.com. The Wave Improvement Leads Home is a member of the Recorded History Podcast Network. Check out the other podcasts on the network by heading over to recordedhistory.net. If you want to support our efforts, please rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice so others may more easily find this podcast. And let's continue the conversation on Facebook and Twitter at TWOILH Podcast. The podcast is brought to you through the generous support of Gretchen Adams, Richard Green, Margaret Graves, Kate Logan, Lisa DeGuardi, and Ron Schooler. Also, many thanks to our sponsors, Jennings College Consulting, Discovering the Right College Fit for Your Future, as well as the Lindhurst Group. The podcast was recorded at the High Center Studios of Messiah College. Thanks to Ed Ark for his continued support. Original music is by Overholt. Many thanks to our guest, Bob Crawford. And many, many, many thanks and a fond farewell to our studio producer, Abby LaBianca. I've been your producer, Drew Durley Hermeling, and your host, as always, is John Fia. That's a wrap. Did it.